know, we, uh, we've been taking an interesting journey through the book of Leviticus. And so a lot of times you don't hear the word interesting and Leviticus together. Um, but this morning, you know, in the last few weeks, we've really been seeing what these passages of Scripture mean and how they apply to us today. Okay, because that's what the, the beautiful thing about a book um, written over a matter of uh, hundreds of years put together without any flaws, without any, uh, any, any, any contradictions, is that we see every bit of it finds its place in the midst of our life, and it speaks into where we're at. And, um, and so what we've been talking about is we've been talking about what we'll be going through is these seven Jewish feasts, so the, 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 the celebration of these, these, uh, these things that are called feasts or festivals. And so these feasts are called, uh, the, the, the word is actually translated in the appointed time. Okay, the appointed time. And so what we see is that when God put these things into action with the Jewish people here in the Old Testament, is that it was for the purpose of recognizing God's intentional plans with His people. Okay, his intentional plans and the fulfillment of his will for the glory of his name. And what he was doing in these is he was inviting his people to not only remember it, but take part in it. Okay, because all of these feasts, all of these festivals, these appointed times, they are meant to help us to recognize Old Testament significance and New Testament fulfillment. Okay, each of these festivals has both of these elements of Old Testament significance and New Testament fulfillment to show us that God's plan is coming to be. Okay, that God's intentions, that God's will is coming to pass very intentionally, very purposefully, that God is not a God of chaos, that He is a God of a plan, that He has a plan set before and He has a will that He intends to bring to pass. And He invites us to be a part of that. That's what's beautiful. And that's what we celebrate in this series as we talk about these things. And so if you haven't been here, just to catch you up to speed, I know sometimes coming into a series, it can feel like walking into the middle of a movie and you have no clue what happened at the beginning of it. And so this morning, I just want to kind of really quickly bring us up to speed on where we are at. So first, we started by talking about the Passover. Okay, and this is a celebration of Exodus 12 whenever the, uh, the, the Jews, the Israelite people, were in captivity in Egypt. And remember, God said that, uh, that the last plague is going to be a spirit of death that's going to pass through and it's going to take the firstborn of every household. And he said the way that that spirit passes over you is by applying the blood of a lamb above your doorpost and that the spirit of the death and of judgment would pass over. And so for us... Okay, the Old Testament significant was that sacrifice and the spirit of death passing over, the judgment passing over them. And for us, it was to remind us of the redemption from sin, that lamb offered up for the atoning of our sins. This for us is pointing to the cross. Okay? Not only that moment in remembrance for them, but also pointing to the New Testament fulfillment in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That perfect lamb being slain and that blood being shed for us. The next, we talked about the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. This is, this is a part of the Passover celebration. This is immediately after Passover, remembering the bread that they ate right after the Exodus. Remember, the manna that God provided was unleavened bread, and He was providing for them in this time in the wilderness. And this leaven is associated with sin. 
Okay, And so this leaven was a foreshadowing of a, this uh, bread without leaven. Unleavened bread was a foreshadowing of the sinless Savior and of the cleansing power that the Passover lamb would provide for the sins of the world. And then last week we started out talking about our, the harvest feast. Okay, The first of the harvest feast. We talked about the first fruits. And this was the children of Israel remembering their deliverance from Egypt. Okay, When God led them out, when He parted the seas and they crossed to escape their enemies. And then for, it was a foreshadowing or a remembrance for us of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, a living, risen Savior that has conquered death. That's what that feast celebrates. And so this week we continue with these festivals or this feast of harvest. And we celebrate what God has given this morning. So this, this week and next week we'll be celebrating the same feast, but we're going to break this in two parts. This morning we're going to talk about what God's given us. Next week we're going to talk about what we give back to God in response to that from our harvest and so, like I said, this is the second of three harvest feasts. This is a celebration and recognition for what God has given, a fulfillment of promises, a festival of reaping. Okay, In Hebrew, uh, the word was translated weeks because it's seven weeks after the Passover, or 50 days after the Passover. This feast could also be known as the Feast of Pentecost, if that sounds familiar, because it is, because this is also celebrating the 50 days after Jesus' resurrection when the Holy Spirit came and rested on the people. And the word Pentecost means 50th. And so what we'll see here, and like we've talked about, the two significant events in biblical history that are celebrated in this feast, in this time frame, we see... The giving of the Torah. Okay, we see the giving of the Ten Commandments. We see the giving of the law because 50 days after their exodus, after the Passover, I mean, from uh, Egypt, Moses went up on Mount Sinai and was given the law by God. And then, like I said earlier, also the significant biblical event that we celebrate in this feast is the 50 days after Jesus' resurrection when God would give the Holy Spirit. And these things are very significant, and these things have a lot of weight and a lot of importance as we talk about how this applies to me today. How does this fit into my life, and how does this move me and motivate me in my Christian walk to step forward? There are two implications that we'll see from this text, and I'm just going to jump into it, and we're going to read verses 15 through 17 of Leviticus 23, and then we'll see how this makes any sense. For me today. Verse 15, it says, You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count fifty days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two tenths of ephah. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And so, reading that, you're like, okay, well, they're just preparing a dinner, right? 
just a good old feast, a good old just time to get together and eat. But what God is giving here is very specific instructions. And I know a lot of times we want to cast off instructions. I don't know about you, but there's many times when uh, I think in my pride that I can do something without the instructions that go along with it, right? How often have you tried to build something, put something together, or do something without the instructions to come to the end of it and look at it and say, yeah, this isn't right? Or all of these extra pieces are probably supposed to go to something. And so either we think we can do it on our own, or we think the instructions are irrelevant. But I pray this morning that as we dive into this, that we would see first that I cannot do it on my own, and that I would see second that it is not irrelevant to me today. These instructions are very relevant to us, and they have a lot that they need to say to us. These instructions are meant to be a reminder, and they're meant to be a foreshadow of God's good work. And so there's going to be two things we're going to talk about this morning of how these things fit into my life and how they apply for us today. The first thing that God gives us in this instruction is He gives us a gift of inclusion or an invitation, and He gives us a gift of freedom. And we're going to see that in this text this morning. Because what we saw from these two events this morning, we see in the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, and we see the giving of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, is we see God showing up. You know, the word that describes a manifestation of God is called a theophany. Both of these experiences, both of these situations are a theophany or a presence of God manifested in very similar ways in fire and clouds and smokes and thunder and lightning. All of these things because of a big, massive God coming into the picture. And the thing is, when God shows up, things change. When God shows up, things change, and we're going to see that that gift not only applied to them, but the gift of God changing things applies to us in our life today. So the first thing that we see is God's gift of inclusion, God bringing his people to the table. In Exodus, we see God giving his law, the establishment of the nation of Israel. Okay, When he pulled them out of Egypt, he, was, he came and gave them the law, gave them their instructions, gave them their guide to establish the nation of Israel as the nation of God's nation. Okay, And he says in Exodus 19.5, he encourages them. He's establishing this covenant with them or this promise with them. He says, keep my covenant. You know, a, few, a couple of weeks ago, we met with our people who were interested in membership, and we presented you with a membership covenant. And so a covenant is a promise, and it's not a one-way promise, it's a two-way promise. That when I sign a covenant with someone, it is me promising to pour into it, and the other side party pouring into it. And so God was establishing, He was proclaiming His promises in this covenant. This is what I'm going to do for you. This is what I call for you to do with me. God gave them a covenant. Okay? He began to establish the process that would lead them to the promised land. He gave them the Torah on stone. All right? He gave them the law. He gave them instructions. He gave them the manual. How am I going to accomplish this? How am I going to get to where God's leading me? God said, this is how. You follow this law. And so in Exodus, God established... The 50 days after the Passover, God established the nation of Israel. 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus establishes his family, the children of God. And Pentecost was the establishment of a new covenant. 
sealed with a promise that the Bible tells us, with an invitation outside of the nation of Israel. The gift of inclusion, the invitation. He created the family of God that was more than just a nation of a very select group of people that in Acts 2, whenever we see the Holy Spirit come and the Pentecost happen, He is inviting many different types of people into this. And we see this represented in this feast in Leviticus 23. And I'll share this with you right here in verse 17. It says, You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved. And when it says to be waved, this is to be made an offering before God. And these two loaves are meant to represent two different groups of people. Remember the Jews were the people who were descendants of Abraham. These were God's people. And then the other one were the Gentiles. That was everyone else. Listen, and we stand this morning as Gentiles. We stand as those who at one time were on the outside. But because of God's good work and His gift of inclusion, He invited us into that family. He invited us into His promise. And these two loaves represent Jews and Gentiles offered before God. Acts 2, 6 tells us this. It says, And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. God was inviting different people. Remember in Acts 2 when we read it, there are so many people. There are people from nations that absolutely hated each other. Different cultures, different races, different genders, different people standing together. And in one instant, God united them all. The Spirit of God is what brought them together. You know, we are such. And how does this apply to me today? The gift of inclusion. I want us to understand what God is inviting us to. He's inviting us to a family to be involved, to be sealed, to be together. But you know what? We are a divisive people, right? We're always wanting to separate ourselves. We're always wanting to separate based on opinions, on views, on experiences, breaking down the community of God. But the thing we have to understand is that God works best and He works most in community. The enemy works in isolation. You know what the enemy wants us to do is He wants us to be a body that is broken. But God calls us into unity. The gift God has given us is He has invited us in to something he has invited us in to a family, an invitation into his kingdom. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's made an invitation to us not to spectate, but to be a part of it to be a part of His kingdom, to be a part of what He's doing, and most of all, church, to be a part of His promises. You know, Jesus talks about this in Luke 14, and I just want to share this with you. You don't have to turn there, but I want to read this to you in this parable. See, Jesus used parables to help uh, magnify spiritual truths, and He speaks of this parable of the great banquet. And in this parable, it says that the man who had invited Him he was making an invitation, and he says, But when you give a feast, invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame, invite the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection. God is calling us into something that he says you cannot give anything into it. There is no admission fee. 
He says there is nothing you could give to make your place in that family good enough. But he invites us in. No matter your race, no matter your culture, no matter your opinions, he invites us in. And going down, he says, go out quickly in this same parable. Go out quickly in verse 21 to the streets and to the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blame, the lame, the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come into that. My house may be filled. Church, God's intention is to invite us in. God has given us the gift of inclusion, the gift of an invitation to be a part of his promises. Romans 8, 16 through 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, they're heirs. And if heirs of God, we are fellow heirs with Christ. So this moment in Acts... When the Spirit of God came and dwelt among His people, this was evidence that the people were children of God. So this morning, that is a confidence that we can rest in, that if we have put our faith in Jesus and received that Spirit, accepted that invitation that He's made to us, then we have an inheritance, that we are heirs into the kingdom of God, that He has invited us in and the Spirit in us bears witness to that, that God has established a family and He invites us all unified to a seat at the table. So if you're an individual, if you're single here this morning and you don't have a family, God invites you into this family. If you are here this morning and you have a family of your own, this is the family you lead your family into. Because this is an established family that will not be shaken, that will not be broken down. This is a family that comes with promises beyond today. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So not only are we included in what God has invited us to, but as a child of God, when we receive that Spirit, we are embedded too deep to be removed. There is nothing that can take our place in God's family away from us. There are many heresies. There are many doctrines that would tell us that you can lose your place in God's family. But I tell you this morning, and I pray that is the confidence that drives you forward every day, drives you through the hurt, drives you through the pain, drives you through the failures and the faults that you face, that God would speak into your life. There is nothing that can take you out of my hand. There is nothing that can take you out of my family. God has given us a gift, and that gift is inclusion. That gift is an invitation into his family. And there is nothing when we have found ourselves in that family that takes us out. In Deuteronomy 16, 11, we see the, the Feast of Weeks, so the Feast of Pentecost written about again here. And he says, And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son, 
and your daughter and your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner or pilgrim, the father, fatherless and the widow who are among you at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. Church, you know, as a, as a Christian, we may not inherit a lot of physical things. You know, as a Christian, our lives may not always be easy. But what God is telling us, he says, the thing that you will inherit is my name. There is nothing greater than being named under the name of Jesus. There is nothing greater that we could inherit, no legacy greater to carry on than the name of Jesus. We've sung about it all morning, that that name is the name that shakes and moves mountains, that that name is the name at which I experience grace and mercy and forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation to a God, Father, Creator, who by sin I was broken from that relationship and God provided a way for me in that name. That's what we inherit. And in that inheritance, we are sealed by his spirit. Church, we inherit that name when we know the true gospel of Jesus, Jesus Christ because gospel unity brings real community. Okay, when we are united around the true gospel of Jesus, it cultivates real community among the people that are there. And I pray that we could be a church of that. I pray that we could be a church united and rallied around the gospel of Jesus. That we would not allow things and opinions and, and views, all these things to be divisive among us, to separate us, to tell us every reason why I shouldn't be in community, but rest in the one thing that actually holds us together in community, and that is the gospel of Jesus. We can always find reasons to be divided, but let's rest in that one thing that unites us. And that's Jesus. That's the real gospel of Jesus, of grace and mercy. And so not only does he give us a gift of inclusion or an invitation into his family, but he gives us a gift of freedom. He gives us a gift of freedom. Leviticus 23, 17, going back to our feast. He says, You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved. Made of two tenths of ephah, they shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as the first fruits of the Lord. So we talked about this earlier, that leaven is symbolic of sin. Okay? So the leaven is baked in, integrated in to this bread. And this bread is being offered and waved before the Lord. So even in our sin, he has made a way for us. He has made a way for us. In Exodus, he gave them the law, the instruction on how to walk as people of God. Okay, he gave them the law. He showed them. He showed them how to walk away from sin. Okay, he laid out the rules. These are the rules of the road, okay? This is how you walk. This is where you go. If you want to be righteous in your own power... You follow these rules, and God laid them before them. And I think we know how that turned out, right? We aren't great at keeping rules. We aren't great at following the instructions. We think we can do it on our own. In Exodus 32, 28, when Moses comes down from the mountain, what is the first thing that he finds? He finds the people breaking these rules boldly. 
And God instructs him to tell the Levi priest in this time. He tells him that life has to be taken because these rules have been broken. So in Exodus 32, 28, we see 3,000 people lose their lives because they broke the covenant. Because they broke the rules. It was heavy. Okay? But God was showing us that the weight of sin is heavy. The weight of sin is heavy and it requires a life. When those rules are broken, it requires a life. Psalm 66, 11 and 12 say this. God had to show us the weight of sin before he could show us the glory of the freedom that is in his grace. We have to know the weight of the bad news before we can really experience the glory of the good news. Psalm 66, 11 through 12 says, You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let, me ride, you let my enemies ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet. I love when the Bible says yet. That's some of my favorite times when I read the Bible, when it says yet, because that means there's something coming. That means there's a change coming. That means there's a shift coming that he wants us to know about. And he says, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. That even in that hurt, even in the pain, even in the weight of sin, in the penalty of that sin, the Bible tells us the, the wages of sin is death. Even in that, God's intention was to show us something of abundance. Okay, God was bringing us to something better. And 2 Corinthians 3, 6 tells us what his better was meant to be. It says in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, the letter kills. The letter is the law. He said the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. God's intention from the beginning was to show his grace and mercy to his people to offer life. And in that life, freedom. Not only was God saving his people from the burdens of sin, but he wanted to give us freedom from death. God has given us that gift. And in Acts, we see God establish his new covenant. Okay? Because God knew from the very beginning he had to show us the weight of sin. The wages of sin is, de is death, and they had to experience that. But then he came and he established a new covenant. And that covenant was not based on rules, but that covenant was based on a relationship with an understanding of who Jesus Christ was. And that he was not only showing the people how to walk as people of God, but how to live with God inside of us. And this is prophecy fulfilled. This is that New Testament fulfillment coming to be. And then we see it first played out in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel. Jeremiah 31, 33, he says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. He says, I will put my law within them. He says, I will put my law in them, not just a law to be read, but a law that will lead them inside of them, that will dwell in them. He says, and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God. I will be their God. So not only do we see that gift of inclusion right there where he says, I will put it in their hearts and I will give them the gift of inclusion and invitation. But then I will give them a gift of freedom where they are not bound by the law anymore. 
He says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. God embracing those two groups of people with leaven, with sin, with brokenness. He says that I will be their God and they will be my people. That is what we celebrate this morning. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27 says, And I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I don't know about you, but it doesn't take uh, a medical professional to know that a life cannot sustain if in a physical sense you had a heart of stone, right? If I cut you open and said I was going to build a big, big rock in place of where your heart is, it's probably not going to work. So what God is saying, he says, I want to give you a heart that will sustain true life and give you freedom from death. That you have been in bondage to death your whole life. But he says, in Jesus Christ, I will give you the first breath of life you've ever had. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will give you something greater than what you think you've had. Even though that heart of stone is solid, even though that heart of stone is heavy, it cannot breathe life into you. He says, I want to give you life and freedom from death. And so we see as Jesus came in Acts 2, just like we saw in Exodus when the manifestation of God came and gave the law, the rules for them to follow, the road for them to walk. We see in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit comes and starts to dwell within the people who have repented and received Him and believed on him, it says that there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Isn't that amazing that the Bible is always showing us the next step? That when the law came, it brought 3,000 deaths. When the Spirit of God came to dwell among his people, it brought 3,000 lives. God's intention is not to kill us. God's intention is not to just keep us from experiencing what it is He has for us. His intention is life for us and life abundantly. It's going to come with hurts. It's going to come with pain. Okay, just like a surgery before God can really put that new heart in us, He may have to make a wound. Okay, He may have to cut us deep. And remove that from within us that has been sustaining us for that time but has not been giving us life. God says, I want to give you life. And it may break you down. But His intention is not to kill you. His intention is not to keep you from what it is He has for you. His intention is to give you freedom and life and inclusion. Hebrews 14 tells us, that he is our priest. You know, in Exodus, whenever the, the, the law came and they broke the law, God commissioned the priests to kill those 3,000. Whenever Jesus came, he stands on our behalf as our priest and he speaks us as innocent. Not because of how well we keep the law, but because of his atoning righteousness, because he has imputed his righteousness, given his righteousness to us. I don't stand as a child of God included and free because I'm good enough for it. And neither do you. And if you've convinced yourself of that, you're going to live a sad, sad life because you will never feel good enough as many times as you tell yourself you are, that you know enough, that you say enough, that you do enough. You will never be enough. 
But you will begin to say, you will begin to do, and you will begin to lead when you put your faith in the righteousness of Jesus and understand that I am not good enough, but my God is good enough. The, the priest that died for me, not only was he the lamb that was slain for me, but he's the priest that speaks on behalf of me, and he goes before God and calls me innocent because of him, not because of me. Romans 5, 20 and 21 say this, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Church, where the law magnified sin, Jesus came to magnify grace. That's what he offers to us. He offers us grace. He offers us freedom from death. He offers us freedom from ourselves through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit comes in, Jesus said, he said, I'm going to send you a helper. And that helper is going to lead you. That helper is going to show you where you should go. He's going to show you what you should do. He's going to show you my word. He's going to help you understand it. He's going to reveal the mysteries of my promises to you. And so God gave us the promise of the Holy Spirit. He sealed us in His family and He gave us the way to freedom in His Spirit. In conclusion this morning, I pray that we can understand the two gifts that God's given us and the two gifts that, the, that this Feast of Weeks or this Feast of Pentecost celebrates. This feast celebrates unity. The two loaves, Jews and Gentiles, being offered up to God together. That there was so much that made them hate each other. That they, there was so much that made them look at each other, look one look at the other as, as a pagan, as broken, as not deserving. And God brings these two together. And He says they're worthy. God's saying, I don't care who you are, I don't care where you're from, and I don't care what, you're what you look like. He says, you have an invitation into the family. You have an invitation to be included. And you may not look the same, you may not talk the same, you may not think the same. But it's not our opinions and it's not our motives that mold us to community. But it's the gospel. Listen, unity is not uniformity. Just because we don't look the same doesn't mean we can't be unified. Just because we don't think the same does not mean we cannot be unified. Church, we have got to be a people. Stop trying to find things that divide us and start looking for the things that unite us. And so not only has He given us unity, but He's given us freedom. That bread baked with leaven. Broken, sinful people offered up to God. And God telling us this morning, telling you and me as individuals that He does not care what you've done. He does not care what wrong you've, how wrong you've been or how much pain you've caused. But He has given freedom for a reason and He has called us into it. He is seeing beyond the things because He's telling us it's not on how good you are, but it's how good I am. And in that there's freedom and it's for a reason that God has called us to a purpose. God has called us to something. That God's promises and His intentions for His will would be done. 
that God has offered us a place at the table. And that place is sealed for eternity for all who would come. That God has given an invitation to come freely, to come broken, to come humbly before Him. Psalm 66, 5 through 7, it says, Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in His deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in Him who rules by His might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Church, we are united in our brokenness and imperfection. The church is not a per place for perfect people. The church is a place of broken people who come humbly before a perfect God and say, God, I desperately need you because I need a place. I need a family because I'm not good enough to be in this family on my own. So you give me the freedom to come and rest in your righteousness, to rest in your work as the Passover lamb, to rest in your work as the priest standing and making intercession for me that you have called me in not based off the prerequisites of religious requirements, but He has called me in based off of His goodness and His intentions for His purpose and His kingdom to be expanded. We are united in our brokenness and imperfection. The law itself could not keep us. Only the life of Christ and His death on the cross could keep us. The law showed us the road, church, but the Spirit of God brings us to the other side. So this morning, I want to challenge us. As you stand this morning and as the band comes, we're going to have a time where we sing and we worship. You can stand with us. And I'm finishing up this morning. But what I want us to recognize this morning is that Christ will keep us. That He has given us a gift of inclusion. He has invited us in. He will keep us. And He has also freed us. That when all else fails, he knew the rules wouldn't solve the problem. Only a relationship of surrender and submission would solve the problem of our sin. So church, this morning I ask you, I ask you to look within yourself as an individual. Because there's either two sets of people here this morning. There's either those who have put their faith in Jesus and that spirit dwells in you. Or maybe you felt like you've been standing on the outside of that family. That you're saying, I, I don't think God wants me in that family. I don't think God has a place for me in His family or in His work or in His purpose. I don't think God can use me. I don't think God wants me to surrender to Him. I don't think God has a purpose for me. And so if you're this person this morning, you're a Christian here this morning, but you've you felt like an outsider. You felt like you felt like that you've turned away from God. You feel like that you're not walking in that freedom. You're not walking in that unity and community that God's called you to. If you feel like that this morning, I pray that you evaluate what is it that is keeping you. What is it that is holding me back from really experiencing? freedom and unity under the umbrella of the gospel in my life or in this church. What is keeping me from that? What sin is it that is there? I pray this morning that you would not combat those things in your own strength, that you would bring those things before Jesus Christ and say, Lord, forgive me. God, I, 
I know I'm broken. I'm going to stop trying to pretend like I have it all together. God, I have sin in my life. I have things that are blinding me, that are keeping me from moving forward with you. God, I bring these things before you, a broken sinner, and say, God, please forgive me. God, use me again. God, reignite that flame within me. God, show me the glory of your name. God, show me what it is that you can do with me. I pray that you would be truly honest with yourself this morning and contemplate that. And maybe you're this person over here. Maybe you've been on the outside. For whatever reason, you've been pushing God away. Say, God, I, 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 I'm, I, can't, I can't believe you. I can't believe in you. I can't surrender to you. I can't submit to you. I can't give myself over to you. God, I'm not good enough for you. God, I don't have the skill set that you need. God, I, I, I believe maybe I was even born to go to hell. I've had people tell me that before, and that, that breaks my heart. That I was born for a destiny separated from God, and I don't believe that. I don't believe God breathed life into any single one of us with the intention on completely and utterly separating us for eternity from the beginning. I don't believe that's what God intended for any of us. So if you feel like there is no place for you this morning, I pray that you hear the invitation of God beckoning you into that inclusion of that family, that there is a place where you can be free from the bondage of sin. Get out from under the rules and rest in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does that look like? That is us recognizing as individuals, as each and every one of us as children of God had to recognize at one point or another in our life that I am a sinner in need of saving. Lord, I'm giving it up to you. And does that mean my life from that moment on is perfect? No. Does that mean that every temptation I've ever had in life is gone from that moment on? Absolutely not. But what that is, is that begins the process to the promised land that God is working in our lives. That God is leading us. He's showing us how to break down the walls of those things, keeping us from walking in his life. So with your heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I just want to pray over you. I don't know your situation. I don't know what brought you here this morning. I don't know what's going on in your household. But I can guarantee that there is, a, there is evidence of brokenness around you. That there is things that you're struggling through right now. That if you would be honest with yourself and you would say, God, I need your help this morning. God, I'm broken. God, I have sinned. God, I have secrets that I've felt like for a long time I've kept from you. But God, those things are there. And I'm tired of hiding from them and I'm tired, tired of trying to hide them from you because you know. God, you know they're there. God, and maybe there are those here this morning I, I just I, they're, they're standing as doubters, afraid. I pray this morning that you would recognize that God is calling you. God has an invitation. I pray that you would respond. Maybe you come down to the altar and you pray. Maybe you come and talk to Brother Garrett or you grab someone else and you just you share your heart and your struggles with them in that moment. I pray that you would do that this morning in response. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you for your grace. God, we thank you for your gifts of unity. God, I, pray, I thank you for your gifts and your invitation of inclusion into the family of yours that is sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit forever. 
God, and I thank you for the freedom that you give us. Lord, a freedom that's not based on, on me following the requirements of the law that I'd constantly fall short of. But God, it's an invitation and a freedom found in a relationship with you, knowing you, submitting ourselves to you, surrendering my life to you. God, help me to be a better father. Help me to be a better mother. Help me to be a better husband, a wife. Help me to be a better coworker. Help me to be a better church member. God, help me to be a better human being in this world. Lord, I pray for courage this morning. God, I pray for confidence this morning, Lord, that you would use this time to move among our people here. God, we welcome your presence. God, we welcome you here. We just ask you to break down walls and barriers that are keeping us from walking in who you've called us to be. God, we love you. Thank you. Praise you. In Jesus' name.